Uh, good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Um, and this is, of course, normally our teaching time. And we don't officially do announcements anymore, but I usually break the rules and take this opportunity just to say that if you're new here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to know who you are, why you showed up here, what questions you might have, any ways that you might be interested in getting connected or involved. So there's an old-fashioned way to do this and a newfangled way to do this. The old-fashioned way is there's a card just like this in the pew back in front of you. If you're interested in connecting more here, just put your information on here. Let us know what questions you have or ways that you might like to connect. And then you can just take this card and pop it in that little box at the back of the building. It says offering box. Just pop that in there. The new sort of fashioned, newfangled way to do this is there's a QR code on just about everything around here. Hey, Joe, how are you? Good, good. Welcome back. Uh, so yeah, definitely not a professional production here, right? Like when I'm interrupting myself to say hello to Joe. So you'll notice that there are little QR codes on everything. If you're that kind of a person, you can always take your phone. If you have a phone whose camera works, unlike me, just scan that QR code and that will take you to the digital version of this and you can give us your info. We'd love to help you get connected to our groups and the various things that we have going on here. Speaking of which, you've heard a, a little bit about this already today. Joey alluded to this, uh, but for about the past 10 days, Border Patrol has been dumping large numbers of asylum seekers at train stations throughout San Diego County, including the Oceanside Transit Center, which is about three blocks that way. This has been happening for about 10 days. Every day, it's been more and more, up to 100 asylum seekers who are being released by Border Patrol. And because Border Patrol and uh, because our federal immigration policies are so badly broken, they can't process them, they don't know what to do with them. They're certainly not going to release them across the street from the facility that they've been held in for the past many, many months. So instead, they literally transport them to different uh, transit centers around the county and just leave them. Oftentimes with nothing, oftentimes without any of the clothing or the supplies that they came with, oftentimes without any uh, money. Most of them still have their phones, thank God, but most of them also don't speak English. They speak Spanish, they speak Arabic, they speak French. They are from all over the world. And an amazing group of volunteers in this community uh, from the city of Oceanside, from the LGBTQ Resource Center, a few from Oceanside Sanctuary, from other churches like Pilgrim, uh, United Church of Christ in Carlsbad. Volunteers have been working tirelessly for the past 10 days to help process them and help them get connected to their sponsors here in the United States. They all have a sponsor. They have family members or friends here in the United States that they can stay with, but sometimes those sponsors are in Georgia or North Carolina or New York or Wisconsin, and they don't know oftentimes that they can't walk from the Oceanside Transit Center to North Carolina. And so they're lost, they're utterly lost in, in this country. And it's been a bit of a crisis, and there are people who have been just working nonstop to try to help process these folks. Um, and I had a real like shift in my perspective this week. Uh, uh, Janelle and I and Victoria and, and Victoria's husband, Nate, and some other folks from OSC have been helping out with this effort a bit. We hosted some asylum seekers here in the building this week, fed them, tried to do whatever we could. And a lot of this is transportation, getting people to their motel or to the airport. And uh, so we've been doing 
transporting of a lot of these folks, which is interesting because you know you hear the chatter in the back seat in Arabic, right? I got to know four gentlemen from Mauritania. Uh, Mauritania is Western African country uh, with a lot of very severe political problems. Slavery wasn't outlawed in Mauritania until 1987. Uh, the owning of slaves didn't become criminal until 2006 in Mauritania. So a lot, of, a lot of difficulties there. And so I got to know Muhammad Ali, not Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad, and Bashir this week. Um, and at one point, Janelle was driving them around. And there was a bunch of chatter, a bunch of excited chatter happening in the back of Janelle's car. And, and, and she could tell that they were excited about something. She was driving them by the ocean and letting them get like just a view of you know, something nice in the midst of all of this sort of difficulty. And she asked one of them who spoke uh, really good English, what's going on back there? Well, you know, he's just talking about how happy he is. How incredibly happy he is to be in this car and in this place and seeing this view and going to this amazing motel. And, and Janelle's telling me this story later at the house. And I realized that for the rest of us, this is, like, this is a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. And it is. This should never be happening. We should have real policies in this country to help asylum seekers in a humane, dignified way. But for Muhammad and Bashir and Ali and Muhammad, it's one of the best days of their life. They're in the United States. They're this close to connecting with an airplane that's going to take them to New York or, or Georgia. And I realized, depending on how you look at this and through whose eyes you're seeing it, this is either like one of the worst days <laughs> or one of the best. One of the best. Uh, and I think that's important. It's an important realization that how we look at things, how we see things, really does have a profound impact on the reality that we experience. So today I want to share with you a story about perspective and perseverance. This is the story of Hagar from Genesis chapter 21. Before we jump into the text, would you just take a moment to pray with me? God, we thank you for today, for this opportunity for us to be here in this space where we have dedicated ourselves to welcoming people. Wherever they come from, wherever they're going, whatever their journey of faith might be, whatever their socioeconomic background, whatever their race, their sexuality, wherever they are in their faith with you, we thank you that you have given us this place to be a sanctuary for all people. We ask that you would help us to lean into all that means to be people who are able to see folks for who they are and accept them to be seen for who we are and accepted. We pray that you'd stir our hearts with this story today. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Hagar is found throughout the book of Genesis. I'm going to read to you just a portion. It's a bit on the long side. 
These uh, stories from the Hebrew Bible are narratives, of course, that have historical elements to them. So if you don't have your Bible with you, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 21, uh, 8 through 21. We'll put some of the words up on the screen so that you can see. But I want you to imagine this person's life, Hagar. We're going to jump into Hagar's story right after Hagar gives birth to Abraham's son, Ishmael. Starting in verse 8, it says, The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. This is, I'm sorry, this is the birth of Abraham's second son, Isaac, who was born to his wife, Sarah. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, which is Abraham's first son. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son, Isaac. See, tracking with me, Abraham has two sons. The first by Hagar the Egyptian, the second by Sarah his wife, Isaac. So now Hagar's two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, are playing. Then Sarah says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, don't be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it's through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. I want to pause there. And if you're thinking to yourself, this is a terrible story. <laughs> there's, there, there's a reason for that. It's because this is a terrible story. Like, what's happening here is that Abraham and Sarah, two heroes of the faith, whether you are Jewish or Christian or Islamic, these are heroes of the faith. Abraham is the father of the three biggest monotheistic religions in the world, the three biggest religions in the world. And these heroes of the faith have a sex slave in their household named Hagar. And this sex slave to Abraham, has born Abraham a son named Ishmael. And if you know the backstory, it's partly because Sarah apparently wasn't able to conceive. And so Sarah thought, hey, here's a good idea. Let's take this slave of ours and you can have a son with her. At least then you'll have offspring. But then later on, Sarah has a son named Isaac, and then she becomes jealous of Hagar and Ishmael and says, I have a good idea. Why don't you throw him out into the desert to die? And Abraham is distressed to his credit. He is distressed by this. 
But he's not distressed for Hagar, this woman that he has slept with, this woman that he has taken as his mistress. He's not distressed for her. He's distressed for his son. And in his mind, according to Hebrew scripture, God says, hey, don't worry about it. Go ahead and send them out there. I'll take care of them. The promise that I made to you to have descendants that are like the sands on the beach, the stars in the sky, that promise comes through Isaac. But because Ishmael's your son, Ishmael will also lead a great nation. So that's weird and confusing. So Abraham casts his mistress and his firstborn son out into the wilderness with a bit of food and a bit of water. And when the food and the water are gone, Hagar takes her son, her baby child, and thinks, I can't bear to watch him die. So she sticks him under a bush and goes far enough away so that she doesn't have to see him die. Okay, I didn't mean to ruin your day, right? This is a terrible story. It's deeply troubling that God would be depicted as someone who would say, yeah, go ahead and you know, send them out to the wilderness. I'll take care of it. Or that these heroes of the faith, Abraham and Sarah, would treat this person with such contempt. By the way, who is this Hagar person? I love these old rabbinic Uh, traditions, this old rabbinic midrash that says that Hagar, this slave woman, Hagar the Egyptian, this woman who has been given as a slave to Abraham's household, that Hagar is actually the son, or the, excuse me, the daughter of the Pharaoh. And that the reason Abraham has the daughter of the Pharaoh as his slave is because in a terrible turn of circumstances a few chapters before Abraham lies about who his wife is Sarah and that results in Sarah being taken as the slave of Pharaoh Sarah becomes Pharaoh's sex slave for a time and then when Pharaoh discovers that Abraham lied about who Sarah was that Sarah wasn't in fact his sister Pharaoh is horrified And the old Jewish madrash about this story says that in order to compensate Abraham for that wrong done, Pharaoh gave one of his own daughters to Abraham. So in this telling, Hagar is not just a slave woman, not that there is ever just a slave woman, but Hagar is royalty. Hagar is the daughter of the Pharaoh. And Sarah treats her terribly. Hagar, by the way, is not just a character in the Christian and Jewish traditions. Uh, In the Christian and Jewish tradition, Hagar is a slave who is revealed to be something less than human by her very name. Hagar is likely not her name at all. Hagar in Hebrew literally means foreigner or alienated. So this person in in this household who is enslaved and treated with such contempt is named foreigner, alien, is robbed of whatever her actual identity is. She's walking around carrying a label that says that she doesn't belong. Interestingly, in the 
Islamic tradition, Hagar's name is not Hagar. In the Islamic tradition, it's Hajar. Hajar in the Islamic tradition does not mean foreigner or alienated. Hajar in the Islamic tradition means splendid, nourishing, beautiful. How you see Hagar depends on your perspective. Hagar is either alienated, foreign, ostracized, other, or Hajar, splendid, beautiful, nourishing. And yet this tradition that names her as splendid, beautiful, nourishing, gave her up. Who Hagar is depends on who Hagar is seen by. This story ends, by the way, in Genesis chapter 21 with Hagar weeping for the coming death of her son and picking it up in verse 17, we see this. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you? Hagar, do not be afraid. For God has heard the voice of the boy and God has lifted up the boy and held him fast with your hand for I will make a great nation of him. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled her skin with water and gave the boy a drink. In verse 20, God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert in the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The tradition says that Hagar or Hajar took Ishmael into the wilderness, persevered and survived and eventually returned to Egypt, where Ishmael took a wife and eventually became the father of a great nation. But how did this happen? How is it that Hagar went from being close to death in the wilderness to persevering and able to survive, hearing the voice of God and rescuing her son by finding more water? I wanna to suggest to you that it's possible that she was able to do this because of something that happened earlier. Just bear with me as I read to you from Genesis chapter 16. Because before this, before this big fight with Sarah, before she was cast out into the wilderness with her son, she had an earlier conflict with Sarah. And this earlier conflict was again because Sarah was jealous. This comes from Genesis chapter 16. And because Sarah dealt so harshly, with Hagar. Hagar this time was not cast into the wilderness, but ran away into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, an angel of the Lord said to her, verse 11, now you have conceived and shall bear a son and you shall call him Ishmael for the Lord has given heed to your affliction and he shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. This word of God comes to her when she's pregnant in the wilderness before. The word of God says to her that she is going to be okay, her son is going to be okay, it's going to be difficult, there's going to be difficult days ahead. But they will make it. And so, verse 12, she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy, 
For she said, have I really seen God and remained after, alive after seeing him? Have I really seen God and remained alive? This earlier encounter with God, I think, explains Hagar's ability to persevere later. Earlier, when she ran into the wilderness on her own, when she experienced a kind of precursor to that experience with death, earlier when she was struggling with the way that Sarah was treating her in her captivity, earlier she comes close to death in the wilderness and sees God and is seen by God. She becomes the only person in all of Scripture to give God a name. And that name is, I have seen God and lived. I think Hagar is an unlikely hero, not just because she's a slave, not just because she's a foreigner, not just because she is alien. I think Hagar is an unlikely hero because she perseveres in spite of incredible adversity. She perseveres. And I think we often forget, especially in churches like this, right? Churches with people who live relatively, like, no offense, but comfortable, middle-class lives. We often think that the gospel is about being successful or being relieved of whatever difficulties we might have experienced in our week. And I'm not saying that the gospel isn't about somehow helping you to become the best version of yourself that you can be. I believe that, actually. But before it was ever about that, it was about liberating slaves. It's easy to forget that the gospel at its heart is a story of liberation. Saying to those who have been held captive, saying to those who have been kept in a cage despite seeking asylum for months or years, saying to those who have suffered real oppression and persecution, here is your freedom. And it's true, I think, that we all experience our own kinds of oppression in our lives. And whatever that oppression for you might be or for me, there is liberation from that kind of figurative suffering. But before it's that, the gospel is about helping people to be truly free, materially free, released from their bondage. And I think what makes that possible, what makes it possible for people like Muhammad and Bashir and Ali, and Mohammed, and the hundreds of other asylum seekers who have been dumped three blocks from here, what makes it possible for them to persevere is the same thing that made it possible for Hagar to persevere. And that is, they saw and felt seen by God. I think when we have a vision of goodness, a vision of hope, a vision of possibility, there's almost nothing we can't endure. And sometimes we are that gospel of hope. I'm not the one being dumped at the train station. But by God's grace, I can be the person who drives them to the airport. 
so that they can get to their next step of liberation. Sometimes it's not about how you can be free. Sometimes it's about how you can help be God for others to help them be seen and to see the possibilities of goodness. Amen?